Hello, and welcome to this episode of Things That Matter with Marty McNabb. As many of you know, I am a personal historian and legacy artist who for over 25 years have had the honor and pleasure of creating one-of-a-kind visual narratives from my clients' photos, document, and memorabilia archives, both digitally and physically. In other words, I tell stories with other people's stuff. So needless to say, I can imagine you know why I might be a bit fascinated by the stories that get attached to the things that matter. Because let's face it, it's not that I think things matter. It's that it's the stories that get attached to the things. Those are the things that matter. So I am delighted to have a guest with me today who I had the pleasure of being connected to through our mutual friend, Sky Bergman and <clears throat> Diana Place. So we have lots of, uh, Sky said, you've got to meet Michelle. Uh, you just, you're two women doing, having similar experiences in living kind of on the road. Michelle, a little bit more than I do. Um, and I am so delighted that we had this opportunity to connect and that I get this opportunity to interview her and ask her to tell us a bit about the thing that matters to her. So with that, I pass, I will pass it on to you, Michelle. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Marty. And I'm excited to talk about the thing that matters to me because it has given me an amazing life experience with my children and my parents and then exploring the world and learning about myself. And the thing that matters to me is my 2006 Fleetwood Jamboree motorhome. And just so that people know the answer, because I know if I forget to tell you now, you're going to ask, which is, yes, it's a 30-foot motorhome. It does not have any slides, which means it is just unplug and go. So, you know, if you have a Tesla, you have to unplug it to go. Well, I have to unplug my motorhome, just like your Tesla, and I also have to unplug the water, and that is it. I don't tow a car, and it's so I just, it's just kind of like a big Tesla, except for I also live in it. And um, it has beds, it has two queen size beds. It has, let's see, a refrigerator and shower and it has a bathroom, which your Tesla doesn't, and a kitchen and, and there's my bedroom, an oven, a microwave. And let's see, it can sleep, see, two, four, six, it can sleep eight people. Anyway, so that is my thing. And the reason why it matters to me is that, um, well, first of all, um, it puts me very solidly in my family as a third generation full-time motorhomer. When my grandfather lost his job in 1933, or not motorhomer, but RV, or when my grandfather lost his, mo his a job in 1933, he and my grandmother moved into a camper trailer for three years. And there's even this newspaper article, the two of them cooking tea at their little stove all dressed up in their finery and they were saying that they were going to be sad when they had to move into a house and they did but then they kept 
the camper trailers. My mom grew up camping all the time. So then when um, I grew up camping all the time, I think I was about two when they bought our first camper trailer. So I got to meet all kinds of people from all over because that's one of the great things about camping, right? Is you just wander out your door and you meet whoever's out there, which is pretty fabulous way for kids to grow up. And then when my, I had kids, my parents became full-time motorhomers for seven years. And when my oldest was in kindergarten, uh, a kindergarten teacher said to them, I said to me at the parent-teacher conference, they couldn't meet my kids' needs in the classroom, and then I need to homeschool. So um, my husband and I bought this motorhome in 2006, and I took my four-year-old and my seven-year-old on the road in this for 10 months and caravaned with my parents through all these national parks and state parks. And it was a great time for me to spend time with my parents as an adult, 10 months side by side with my parents. And then they got to spend time with the grandkids. And then my grandkids got to learn about their grandparents and, and see them as role models and teachers and loved ones. And so that was lovely. And then two years later, my youngest said, hey, I don't even remember any of that. I was four, let's do that again. So we did it again for four months and went up into Canada, uh, Western part of Canada, and we had a great time. But then the motorhome just kind of sat around and didn't do much for a bunch of years. And in 2020, I lost my job during the COVID spring. I was a national PR events and partnerships person for a nonprofit. And all the events I had planned on the Hill and we, I was talking with John Legend's people about an event and the Milk and Global Conference, all those things my boss couldn't do because of COVID. So I got laid off. And I thought, no problem, I'll just find another job. I mean, I went to UVA law school. I was an international trade attorney for a decade before I had kids. I'm, I, I, I can do stuff, right? I, I have some value. So come, I was, imagine my shock in the middle of July after submitting 86 customized cover letters when I still didn't have a job. So um, on about July 15th, I was sitting in a Target parking lot and I had to make a very simple decision, which was what do I do when the movers show up to move my stuff out of the rental post-divorce house on July 31st? So it came down to that very, very, very simple decision of where's my stuff going to go? And I thought, well, I can't get an apartment anywhere because I don't know where I'm going to have to go to get a house. I mean, a job, right? So I thought, well, it's dumb to rent an apartment. Thank goodness I have the motorhome. I'll move into the motorhome. And then the next question was, well, what do I do with it? So on August 1st, I had no house, no spouse. My youngest was going off to college. So I no longer had the job as a mom, you know, with a younger kid. And so I had no house, no spouse, no job, and no kid to take care of anymore. But what I did have was this motorhome. And um, so I thought, okay, well, thank goodness for that, right? And I was thinking, all right, well, I'll take the motorhome to someplace beautiful, like the beach, and I'll consult my way to a new job. And then a very loud voice 
voice inside my head said, are you insane? You have been trying to get a job or even a consulting job. I was offering my services for free and people were turning me down, literally. Can I be your intern? No, you can't. We won't answer your email. Um, and I know. I went on to like indeed.com and like did some of those loft. Yeah, no, no, no. Then none of that worked. Um, so, um, so yeah, yeah. So I thought, well, that, that would be terrifying to be in one place with this motorhome and continue to do what already had proven itself. I don't know, impossible is, is a word I rarely use, but it wasn't looking good. So I thought, well, I'll just start driving, kind of like run fast, run, you know, like just do something. <laughs> so I was like, wait a minute, I know how to drive out to Yellowstone. I've done that so many times. I'll just drive out to Yellowstone. But then I didn't want to drive and try to redo the trips I do with my kids because I figured I'll sob the entire time because I'll miss my littles. Yeah. I know. You know, you can't go, you can't go home, right? Can't go back. Can't go back. So I had to do something different. And then I was inspired by Humans of New York, which you may or may not be familiar with, but Brandon Stanton put together, he was a photographer in New York City and he went around and his goal was to, to I think, photograph something like 10,000 people in New York City and do a brick and mortar exhibit. But then people started, and but then as he was photographing them, he started to learn about their stories. And then it went online and became a book. And I thought, okay, well, I'm going to put together a project so that I can apply for a job in December. I'm going to drive all over the United States, interview hundreds of people about their lives during the pandemic, because I was super interested in what everybody was doing. Yes. And I'll put together a website and social media. I'll get the press to interview me. And then in December, I'll be like, here, see, look what I can create out of full cloth. Please hire me. Please, for the love of God, somebody hire me. Right? Because <laughs> really, that was the state I was in. And I thought, okay, I'll do that. And um, so I started driving and taking photos of people and, and built the website. And then people kept saying, this is a book. And I was like, no, it's not a book. This, I'm just doing this to get a job. And, they, and then people were, it was kind of like a little bit like you're being selfish. Mm -hmm. You're collecting these stories. Nobody said the word selfish, but you're collecting these stories so you can get it so you, because you're curious and so you can get a job. This is history. Like you have sort of a higher obligation to share out these stories and have it be in something like a book so that 50, 100 years from now, people can look back on it and, and understand because newspapers have done a great job of interviewing doctors and teachers and then various other people and, and you know, restaurant owners, but it, it's diffuse. It wasn't like a single treatment. And so my, I had just one question when I went around and I interviewed people. It was, it's January 1st, 2020. What was your 2020 supposed to be like? And what did it end up being like through to the present? And most people would talk for 30, 45 minutes. And I recorded them on a transcription app on my phone. So I have the audio and I have the transcripts. And all I did was take their words and move it around. So it was a story arc and share it out. So anyway, so at Christmas time, I went ahead and sent an email to University of North Carolina Press, which is my alma mater and also where I had raised my kids. And I said, is this a book? And they said, yes. 
so now it's a book. <laughs> it's um, <laughs> who we are now, stories of why you can't see it. Yeah. I'll put it right up here. Wait a minute. There we go. There we go. Who we are now, stories of what Americans lost and found during the COVID-19 pandemic. And it's a hundred stories between 400 and 1200 words. And it's kind of like a roller coaster with each story, you have no idea what you're going to get next. And it kind of tumbles you through the pandemic. Some of the stories are funny. Some of the stories are gut-wrenching. I think all of the stories are surprising in one way, but they all are relatable in another way. Yeah. And so now because of the motorhome, yes, I have a book. And now I also know what I want to do with my life, which is to go around and interview people about their lives. And so the next book, so because of this thing that matters, yes. the next book is going to be, I'm going to drive all over the United States and interview people living in odd situations, like full-time motorhomers, living in school buses, living in like lighthouses or tree houses, tiny houses on boats. Yeah. And, and I think that's going to be so neat. And so that's a very long-winded answer to your question. But the thing that matters to me, both from a family point up, oh, one more thing about why this matters. I have a remote job now so that I can live and work from wherever I want. So I've got the job and a book. And one of the benefits of living and working remotely and being able to have the motorhome is that when my family needs me, I can be there. So when Hurricane Ian was on its way to destroy my parents' home, I started driving from North Carolina and came down and picked them up and then helped them. And then when my dad broke his hip, I was here and, and then he passed in December. And so I've been able to be here as a companion from my mom, but then I'm also able to go up and see um, my kid in North Carolina when they need me. And when my youngest moved into New York city, I got to be there to, um, you know, to help them move in. So if I had a brick and mortar house and I always had to buy plane tickets and rent a car and get a hotel or whatever, all of this would be so much more difficult. Mm -hmm. And so I've been able to do the sandwich part of being, you know, late fifties much easier because of, of this, my yeah. motorhome. So that's the story. You got the whole thing. <laughs> And obviously, Michelle, um, family and uh, and connections and community and legacy is all important to you. And obviously, relationships, relationships, relationships. So it yeah. seems, yeah. Oh my goodness. Well, so um, so, and of course, you know some of my story um, as well that. I have, as a personal historian and legacy artist, um, one of the biggest things that personal historians as a, as a field have tried to do is, is, is encourage people to see the fact that they're living history. In every day, they are living history. Um, you know, the emails, the cards, the whatever, all of this, the photos that they take, they're all documenting and living through history. And I think that we both ended up being in a situation during COVID where it, you know, it was so glaringly true that we, we now have museums and historical societies that recognize that it's, it, 
you need to gather the stories and the things that matter while the thing is happening during the process. And so I'm so grateful to all your wonderful friends and family <laughs> that continually reminded you that this is bigger than just you. This is bigger than just a quote unquote, proving yourself to be worthy of a job, that this is the thing. And that through their, you know, it's, it's, so now it is a book, but without them, like, you know, like continually saying. Oh, that's true. Because yeah. I didn't, I didn't want to sell the book. I said, you know, I'm happy to share it out, but I don't want to have anything to do with promoting this thing. And so, and thus here I am, but, 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 um, but it's, um, I've really come to enjoy all the hundred people in the book and it's now my excitement for other people to hear their stories that is driving me. It's, you know, I think, you know, book authors get so little money. I think it's like a buck for a paperback and $2 for a hard copy. It's, it's minimal. So what's really driving me at this point is I love these stories and I can't wait for other people to read them. And what I'm hearing from people is that it's helping them process what they went through. It's helping them realize what, you know, because I drove all over the United States, they're hearing people's varied experiences through the pandemic. And, um, and people are saying that it's, um, it really has helped them process it uh, much better. So, so much grief that we, we all, and mm -hmm. I, I lost 28 people since the start of the pandemic, um, starting that with my dad. Inconceivable. Yeah. And not directly to, the, to COVID, but I know I'm pretty certain that two people out of the group, they're from New York city. And my feeling is it wasn't that they were afraid of getting COVID. They didn't want to be a burden on the already burdened medical community. So they probably ignored signs that without the pandemic, they might've followed up on it, but they just didn't want to burden anybody. And I'm, I, it was just like so shocking, but you know, my, the, my thing is sort of like yours, you know, is that, you know, this mix of what the stories and the, the grief and the hardship, the losing the job, um, you know, all of that kind of thing. For me, it was like, at the same time, I lost 28 friends and family members. I ended up gaining uh, a relationship with somebody from 30 years ago that if I hadn't had my van, Brooklyn, who's behind me, um, I couldn't have, I, I couldn't, I more than likely would not have reconnected with her. Um, and I also was grateful to have her because right at the start of the pandemic, I was getting my mother ready to head back up to Vermont from Hilton Head. And I was on the, the second time planning to go down the East Coast of Florida, up the West Coast of Florida to, uh, to, post stories, inviting people, similar love of listening to stories and, and learning more about people through the things that matter. And, um, and, and I was just sort of like, huh, we don't know what this is. It just started like, what, what am I? And thankfully I decided 
no way I wasn't going to do that. I, but I had this van that I could go and park outside of a friend's house in Asheville, North Carolina. So we have so many things connected, <laughs> so many interconnections. And I was curious, how many miles did you cover in the, in your book to 12,000? 12,000. The first trip was out to, well, Cheyenne, Wyoming, and then down to Raton, New Mexico, and then back across to North Carolina for Christmas. And then in January, I took off again and I went down toward Morgan City, Louisiana, and then out to Los Angeles and back. And in the, and then in the midst of that, I also took a trip, let's see, for, for election day, I took, took a trip up to Washington, D.C. Um, because I was interested in what the Washington was to be like on the 2020 election night yeah. and um, Philadelphia to interview some people. And then I went up again to New York City for the reopening of Broadway oh. in September 2021. So I started driving September 2020. And uh, and stop the um, interviews pretty much September 2021. Wow, wow. Well, I was just think thinking, and and I had mentioned this before to you about my friend Bill Shap Shapiro, and his uh, and his partner Naomi Wax, who um, I don't think they put on 12,000 miles. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and, and I just did a finished a five month road trip this year, but it was only about 8,000 miles. That's so it's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot. But they also, they interviewed people. They in interviewed 150, I think 150 people share the one object that brings them joy, magic, and meaning. And obviously- oh. You've got to, before we go, you've got to tell us what is the, I know the name, but tell the people who are listening the name of your, of, of the thing that matters to you. I call it the turtle because it carries its house on its back. <laughs> and, and I was just thinking, I wanted to point out. So I think Bill had, who I'm grateful to be friends with now, because we share, you know, we're interested in similar territory, but he had a very different, um, he at first told, told me about somebody in his book um, ended up using their tiny house as the thing that mattered, the thing that oh. magic and meaning. And you're talking about something, this next thing for you. And I've got to introduce you because she is the last time I know she was in the Dallas Fort Worth area. And okay. I got a chance to meet her when I was there at, on a different uh, trip. And it's B B A Nor Norgard. And um, I, I remember Bill talking about the fact that he was like, oh, I don't know about using a tiny, you know, a, a tiny house because everything else is like little buses or coins or, um, you know, things that they found on the way, you know, linchpin, you know, literally a linchpin, um, things like, you know, all kinds of things like that. And he was like, I don't know about the tiny house, but he did. He ended up using the tiny house. And it just reminds me of I've never had somebody end up bringing a thing that matters that is uh, as large as your your RV. So and <laughs> I can only sleep four people very 
very tightly uh, <laughs> in, my, <laughs> in my little camper van, Brooklyn. Um, and that's why I call it a camper van now instead of an RV. Because when I was traveling, I don't know if you had this experience when I was traveling and I'd say, oh, can I park in your driveway? They were thinking about, I have this big bus when I talked about an RV. And I'm like, no, she's only 21 feet long. She's more like a delivery van. They're like, oh, okay. You know, so. Yeah, and, no, that makes sense. I mean, right? that's, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so people like the, the assumptions about RVs and and of course, yeah, I, I had a wonderful guest, um, uh, Siobhan Daniels. Who oh, yeah. Was, uh, she's, I love her book. Great. Uh, the the uh, rebel retirement what, rebel retirement rebel. And um, yes, and I got a chance to read that book. It was wonderful. And now I'm going to get a chance to read yours as well. I downloaded it already and I'm ready Yay. to do it. And um, and I love the fact that there's so much of reinvention and um, and resilience um and all the the transformations that we we've, we've had so i uh, before i go i wanted to invite you to share with my listeners and my watchers um more about how they can find you where they can find you um to keep keep uh connected with you uh moving forward because you're on a long a long-term journey. Well, you have been actually since the beginning, it seems, <laughs> generations of full-time RVers. So it seems like you're continuing and will continue well into the future. And I hope to stay along, be along on your journey. So share, share with everyone. Thank you, Marty. So the easiest way to find me, and this is so easy to remember, is to go to my website, whowearenow.us. Pretty simple, whowearenow.us. And there are obviously social media links on that too. But if you wanted to follow my journeys, you would follow me on Instagram. Uh, I go by the happy nomad. And, um, but that's not, that's not the, you know, but type in Michelle Fishburn, M-I-C-H-E-L-L-E-F-I-S-H-B-U-R-N-E. And um, I, I go ahead and share out what's going on as I travel all over the place with this crazy little life I've got myself. <laughs> Sounds like a crazy, beautiful life, Michelle. And I am it so is. glad that to have connected with you and I look forward to staying in contact. So um, absolutely, Marty, we've got to like do this thing in person one of these days. At, without a doubt. And I was just thinking I've got my home shirt so it's, I got it out in New Mexico and it of course has New Mexico <laughs> in there because it's big enough to be, be there. But I used, I, I added the S and I, I used some pen to put in Vermont, <laughs> but you can hardly see it. <laughs> so that is my, my journey around this beautiful country of, of ours. And I think that one of the things that Michelle and I both we spoke about before was um, the sense that it's so good to connect with people directly and to travel the country because we both ended up um, recognizing that the media was saying some one thing about our country um, and how divided we are, but that um, I certainly didn't experience that on my travels and Michelle do you want to share a little bit more no I you know when I interviewed people inevitably toward the end of the interview they would say how's everybody else doing 
And then if we got into a, a discussion, they would say, um, you know, I just wish we could get rid of social media. And there are a couple of TV stations that need to just go away because they're pitting us against each other as if we're boxers. And they're, 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 they're trying to rev us up against each other and it earns money for them, but it's not good for us. And, um, and so, no, I mean, I, I, when I went out into the country, I thought, oh gosh, this is going to be bad and I'm going to be uncomfortable and there's so much anger. And I didn't find that when you did, when you talk to people face to face, person to person, we're, we're just people, we want to be neighbors. Yeah. Um, so that's what I found. Yeah. And, and with that, it reminds me of one last question before we close. And that is, um, I, it's hard to, to answer this. I know, cause I get it too, but what's the, what's one of the stories, uh, whether inside your book or outside that stands out in your mind and, um, of the person that you met along your travels? So it's one person who's not in the book. <laughs> His name is Calvin. He lives in Alpine, Texas. And I met Calvin when I needed some air in my tires and he was parked by the side of the road in a pickup truck with a generator. And I pulled up and I said, do you know where I can get some tire air in my tires? He's like, well, I can do it right here, ma'am. And so Calvin and I started talking and Calvin said, you know, he said the pandemic for me has been no big deal because um, I have a ranch and people come to hunt on it and I have cabins and actually things have been really good for me. He said, but I think a lot about what about like those restaurant owners in New York city? And he said, you know, how are they doing? And I said, well, Calvin it's really interesting because a couple of days ago, I talked to Dominic who has a restaurant in Manhattan and it was January 31st of 2021 and Dominic was still not allowed to have people sitting in his restaurant to have dinner. And it was killing him financially. And so I said, Calvin said, well, you know, he said, if you get a chance to talk to him again, please tell him that there's a rancher down here in Texas that's thinking about him. And I think that that is really number one, who we are. It was who we've always been and it's who we are now. We do think about each other. And one, one of the things that was really beautiful during the pandemic when we were on lockdown is that we, ha we, we thought about each other a lot. That in the quietness, we were wondering how each other's lives were. And that is what led me to start driving around is um, I was particularly interested in ballet companies. How do ballerinas, male and female, how do ballet dancers, stay with the muscle memory and like the lifts or this if they can't be together and so if it finally took until i was out in yuma arizona on <laughs> when i got the answer to my question and that's another story and yeah. it's in the book oh my god oh my god and and the bizarre thing is on my five-month road trip I, I stopped in Alpine, uh, Texas as well. Um, so, and, and what a lovely area of, it really, you know, it really all, is. yeah, all, all of it, all of it. Well, so. it's a surprising area too, because a lot of us, I think, go through Alpine either on our way down to big, big bend or yes. up from big bend. Right. And yes. if you're, if you're going east to west and you're coming up from big bends, so all you've had is flat, 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 scrub, scrub, scrub. 
And then as you start to see the evergreens, yes. as you head up to Alpine, Texas, it's a very, it's a little surreal to start seeing so much green in your scenery again. Yeah. Um, but it's lovely. Yeah, it was so such a neat, yeah. So this, that was, yeah. So thank you. Thank you for sharing those those stories and um, more. And I look forward again to following your journey. And thank you everyone for watching and or listening to this episode of Things That Matter with Marty McNabb. So if you love the idea of the stories that get attached to things, please join me at one of my live monthly show and virtual show and tales on Zoom. Um, if you are a family member or uh, a colleague is looking for a unique way to build connection, community, and legacy in your company, your nonprofit, please reach out uh, for me to host uh, one of these story sharing gatherings for your, your community. And lastly, if you're looking for a unique way to market yourself that feels good and does good, I have a community that I'm creating, helping people host their own story sharing events as a way to market themselves. So reach out to me about my community. So thanks again. Thank you so much, Michelle. I really had so much fun, Marty. Thank you for reaching out. And I can't wait to meet you in person and see you in person. So take good care and everyone and have a wonderful day. Thank you.